0: It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, August 31st, 2016. Gonna be doing our light episode today. Gonna pull out some audio from the 2015 Hybrid Christian Radio Conference. Wet your appetite. We're working on the audio for this year's uh, conference, but it probably will not be available till next week. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which help you to think biblically. Help you to think critically and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up our Bibles, put things back into context to compare with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, and you know things like that. And over again, we demonstrate that what the most popular pastor types and preacher types and author types are saying doesn't square with what God's Word says. Now, uh, once a week, we do what's called a light episode, although the topic is not light or fluffy. It's oftentimes in-depth. Uh, What we're going to be doing is we're going to be playing for you this week, uh, part one, next week, part two, of uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller's 2015 Pirate Christian Radio Conference lectures, and he's talking about the anti-catechism. And to help us out here, you you have to think kind of in bizarro world, what we'll do with this episode of Fighting for the Faith, we will post— the PDF that goes with this lecture with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, as well as next Wednesday's episode when we play the balance of his talk on this topic. And I think he will find it very fascinating. In fact, next week he will also get into the concept of institution versus movement, very important topics. So without any further ado, here is Pastor Brian Wolf 2015 uh, lecture number one from the Pirate Christian Radio Conference.
1: Thank you both to Pastor Rohde and Pastor Cooper for their presentations already. Uh, God be praised for the work that they've done. Uh, and I look forward to hearing part two tomorrow. That'll be great. At the end of each uh, table is a uh, large handout. Catechism worldview on one side, anti-catechism on the other. I think, in fact, I'll suggest at the beginning that you fold it in half. And we'll be working on the catechism worldview to begin. Also, if you have a Bible, uh, we'll start at 2 Th- Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at the text there. It's great to have you guys here, by the way. Uh, this is wonderful, uh, really wonderful. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. A blessed Lord, who has given us all holy scriptures for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word we might embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of eternal life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end, Amen. Uh, first, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is uh, Paul warning us about the Pope, uh, that is the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, and he says, beginning in verse 3, let no one deceive you by any ma- means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is God, called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God verse 5 do you not remember that when I was still with you I told you these things and now you know that what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time and I'd like you to, to pay attention to this next phrase verse 7 for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. This presentation, I I have called, and and, uh, Pastor Roseborough asked me to to speak on the anti-catechism, so that's really what it is, the anti-catechism. It could also be called the mystery of lawlessness. Now, we look at that phrase, and perhaps as Lutherans, or uh, theologically oriented that direction, we might say, why does not Paul warn us about the mystery of gospel-lessness? Why is it the mystery of lawlessness? What is the work of the Antichrist, or this mystery that is, was already at work in Paul's day, and continues to be at work in our own day, why is it called the mystery of lawlessness now we know that the devil attacks the gospel in fact that is his chief attack he wants us more than anything else to not know that jesus is our savior to not know that our sins are forgiven he he, he the devil's work is constantly to push us away from the gospel to bend our conscience away from the lord's word of promise but the devil's attack is much broader than that. It is a much bigger scope. And that is because the Lord's work is of a much larger scope than this. Now, I'd I like to consider then first the law of God in a broader way. I think one of the worst ways that we consider God's law is we, cons- we, we think of the law like... Um, like uh, like the rules posted at the swimming pool. <laughs> uh, no alcoholic beverages. No swimming in, in, unless you've eaten. Th- 30 minutes between. You have to wait for 30 minutes before you swim. Uh, no one unsupervised under 12 years old. Uh, th- this kind of thing. No glass bottles. It's just it's rules. And someone sat there and they said. Uh, we don't have enough to do. Let's make up some rules. And they made up these rules. And we, we have a tendency to think of God's law like this. It's just, it's like rules. Now, when we, when we start to consider the law more theologically, we, we start to see that it plays a more profound role. And, and this is the phrase uh, that we find in our Lutheran confessions, this great Latin phrase, lex simper accusat, which means the law always accuses. So that we see that the chief function of the law, what we sometimes call the second use of the law, is to show us our sin. When we learn the catechism, uh, this is the, the, the third use. We, we sometimes have the picture of a mirror. Uh, now you know how a mirror goes. Uh, you wake up in the morning and you might be feeling pretty good about yourself until you turn on the light and you look in the mirror. And then you say, oh boy, I need some work. I decided, by the way, I'm not going to shave tonight so that I can have a beard with, like Pastor Cooper tomorrow. <laughs> Should be, no problem. It'll come in, hopefully, that fully. Uh, you look in the mirror and you say, boy, this thing needs some work. Well, the same is true with our lives and God's law. The, the law holds up in front of us a picture of God's holiness, and we see that we do not match up. No one is righteous, says St. Paul, Romans chapter 3, quoting the Psalms. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one is good. No one seeks after God. We're, we're all together unholy, unrighteous, uh-uh, undeserving of the Lord's mercy and kindness. Now, that is the, the theological use of the law to show us our sin. Lex simper accusa, the law always accuses us, but... The law does not only accuse. Uh, the law, in fact, is a, 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 a revealing to us of the will of God. And I think we especially see this when we, medita- when we read along with, uh, uh, with Dr. Luther in the large catechism and we see that he has an expansive understanding of God's law in this way. Uh, Luther is a theologian who is on a hunt for institutions, especially words of institution. So Luther looks at the world and he sees the things in the world and he's asking the question, is it instituted by God? Now, normally when we think of words of institution, we think of the Lord's Supper, probably. The words that institute the sacrament of the altar. Or maybe we think of baptism, the words of institution for baptism. But, but Luther was looking for words of institution in a, in a much more a broad and universal sense. So, for example, Luther would take something like marriage, and he would say, is it instituted by God? Can I find the words of institution for marriage? And in fact, he does in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and so forth. Or he would look at the world and he'd see something like government, human government. And he he would say, is this instituted by God? Something as simple as work or authority or money. And he would ask the question, is it instituted? Now, when Luther then, asking these questions, comes to the Ten Commandments, he finds there in the Ten Commandments God's instituting of order in this created world so that the ten commandments can be understood as words of institution or perhaps a little more precisely words protecting god's institution of things here's the story i remember when i was a kid uh we our backyard was the um the fence was the city limits of kerville texas and so we and, me and my two brothers would just wander back in the hill, and there was the hill that was behind our house. And we, we, you know, we had limits. We could go to the top of the first hill. And we got a little bit older, and we could go to the bottom of the first hill, and then a little older the top of the second hill, and we could go further and further. And finally, uh, one day we got to the end of that second hill, and we saw on the third hill something that we had never seen before. We were like uh, explorers going to the moon there was this tower there and a fence around it, this tall bar, uh, uh, kind of chain link fence. And on top of that fence, there was the razor wire going around it. And we knew because this, there was this tall fence there and because there was this razor wire that whatever was inside that fence must be important. And we talked about what it was. You know, was it a a uh, mis- uh, missile silo it's some sort of secret base and we didn't know we just knew it was important what all kids do we threw rocks at it <laughs> now uh, it was a water tower you know it wasn't a big deal but this was the idea that because there was a fence around it protecting it we knew what was inside was important now we can think of God's law in this way as a fence that is around God's gifts that he has instituted. So oftentimes when we study the catechism, we ask with the commandments, what is the gift that God is giving? So for example, you shall have no other gods. What's the gift that God is giving? Well, he's giving us the gift of himself. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What is he giving us there? He's giving us the gift of prayer. Like if Pastor Roseborough handed me the keys to the Pirate Christian Mobile, and he said, Do not misuse these keys. Well, what does he want me to do? He wants me to cruise around town using it rightly. See? And the same thing is true with the Lord's name. Or the third commandment. uh, uh, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. God is giving us the gift of worship, of hearing his word. The fourth commandment, honor your father and mother, is the gift of authority, uh, family and state. So that we see in the third commandment, the institution of the estate of the church And we see in the fourth commandment, the institution of the state and the family. So the three estates in which we live. The fifth commandment protects life. The sixth commandment protects marriage. The seventh commandment protects property, stuff. The eighth commandment protects our own name. God be praised that he not only has a commandment protecting his name, but also a commandment protecting our name. And the ninth and tenth commandments are protecting probably something like contentment. Those are the gifts that the Lord is doing. But these gifts that the Lord is protecting are things that He has established, things that He has instituted, things that He has put in place. Now, this is also true when we go to the next part of the Catechism, which is the Creed. The three articles of the Creed really define for us the Lord's work. The first article, God the Father and creation. The second article, God the Son and our redemption. And the third article is uh, God the Holy Spirit and the work of of the Church, the sacraments and the preaching of the Word. Now, if you would look at this page here on this handout, you will see on the colored side an attempt to put in some sort of orderliness these institutions of god according to the catechism okay so i want to kind of walk through it you see that and i'll draw also excuse me so that you get a sense cuz it's a little bit complicated but you see that there is, for example, in the Ten Commandments, there are two tables of the law. So you have the first table of the law, which has the first commandment, the second commandment, and and the third commandment there. And then and and those should be labeled something like this, right? And so you can see it. There's the second table of the law, which has the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth commandments there. And and then the whole thing can is composed of God's law. Now, I, I think that one of the geniuses of, um, of Luther and the catechism is that not only does he take the commandments and the parts of the creed as uh, individual things, like, for example, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, and the fifth commandment, you shall not kill, etc., and, and just treats them atomistically, but that he's able to see the story, uh, the connection between the commandments. Uh, that these things are related to one another. So the first 3 commandments are all related to the things of God. The last 7 commandments are all related to the things of man, etc. Now, I've embedded in this picture and you could do it differently. I've embedded the 10 hmm. Okay. Can you guys hear me okay though? Is it? Not... Right. I've embedded all of the 10 commandments in the first article of the Creed. So that the Ten Commandments are, in a, in, a, in a very profound way, outlining the order of God in this world. So you see that according to the first article, God has created the world, and in that creation, He has so ordered the world according to the Ten Commandments. So you see first article creation, and then in that, the Ten Commandments, which is God's ordering of the world. The first table establishes how it is with God and man. I am your God. You have my name and you have my word. And then the second table is uh, establishing God's gift of neighbor. And then within the first table, we see the first commandment, which is the gift of God and of faith, God's name and prayer, God's word and truth, the church and preaching and so forth. In the fourth commandment, you see family, authority. The fifth commandment is life the Sixth Commandment, marriage and chastity, the Seventh Commandment, property, the Eighth Commandment, reputation, and Ninth and Tenth, contentment, as we talked about. Now, if you wanted to, I would add a little circle like this that comes down uh, after the law, kind of going into the second article, and that would be where the doctrine of sin goes. Because these, as God uh, shows the order of the world, He also shows us our own sin. And does that make a little bit of sense on what you're looking at on the page? Okay? I want to make sure we understand this half, because the real, uh, I, I think the real light bulb will come on when, we, when we'll turn the page. Okay? Now, you see the first big circle there is the first article. The second circle that is in the middle and covers the heart of, uh, of uh, Luther's seal, which you kind of see in the background, the second article is the incarnate word. So the first article is the creative word that God creates by the word. Remember how God created the world? He spoke. And this is very important. When we consider how the world came to be, uh, we see that the scriptures gives us an entirely different picture than all of the other uh, cosmologies of the world. In every other cosmology, there's violence where, uh, in creation. You know, moat is being... is tearing apart the other false god, or Baal is stealing the sword from his father and cutting him in half, or whatever. There's always violence in creation. But that is not true in the scripture. God simply speaks. Now, this is also one of the distinctions. It's always going to be the distinction between how God creates and how the world wants us to understand creation is that God creates in peace while the world creates in violence. So the major cosmology that we're faced with today how the world came to be is evolution, which is nothing other than extreme violence. So that things got the way they are uh, by a various series of murders. Survival of the fittest means murder of the weakest. See? But more on that later. The second article is the Word incarnate. Remember Jesus, how John introduces Jesus to us In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us John 1 1 and John 1 14 so Jesus is the word incarnate and then you see down at the bottom the third article that is the external word the work of the holy spirit in preaching so that <clears throat> so that you have uh, so you have Christ here and then you have a little overlap and you have the work of the holy spirit here the church is here baptism confession absolution and the lord's supper are all part of the Holy Spirit's work there. And here is precisely where we locate the doctrine of justification, as Pastor Cooper was talking about already, that we are declared righteous. Apart from our works, by, uh, by, the, by God the Father, we are imputed with the righteousness of Christ. Now, now all of this taken together is, uh, is God's word. So we have the Word which creates, the Word which is incarnate, and the Word which sanctifies. Okay. And this is really a, 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 a catechism worldview or simply a way of understanding through the catechism how God has ordered and structured this world, how God interacts with this world, what God has instituted and put in place in this world. Okay. So that's your left side of the page. Now, uh, if you if you open up the page, I would like to put before you this simple thesis, and that is that the devil is busy attacking all of the institutions that the Lord has put in place, and this is what we call the anti-Catechism, or what Paul calls the mystery of lawlessness. In other words, the Lord has established order in this world. He's instituted things. He's put things in place, and the devil is busy attacking them. Now, one of the strategies that the devil uses is he always works in darkness. He always works in, um, in the dark. He always works uh, he, he always uh, is, is working secretly and never doing anything in the open and so one of the things that the devil hates is uh, is really for a thing to be named. <laughs> Remember God gave to Adam in the garden the vocation of naming things of call of of giving all of the animals names now that 's a profound sort of thing because if the devil would have it. We would never name anything at all, and this is one of the difficulties we face in the church, is that the devil will come and attack us and tempt us, that he'll bring his uh, his uh, his work to us uh, to try to destroy what God has done, but we don't know how to name it. We don't know what to call it. Uh, he, he's working in the dark, and so... What I hope to put before you here in the anti-catechism is simply a way of calling the devil's work what it is. In other words, identifying the devil's work as destroying the thing which God has created. Uh, it was the custom, at St. Augustine at least, but probably Pastor Flammy reminded me this morning that, that, uh, that all of the ancient theologians of the church would talk about how the devil does not have the authority or the power to create, but only to destroy. And so his work is always going to be to destroy, or to pervert, or to change what God has created. In other words, to corrupt what God has instituted. So that you have on, your, on the right side of your page a number of blank uh, spaces that will fill out in the remainder of, our, of, of the afternoon as we consider this together. And this is, will be an attempt now to name the work that the devil has done. Now, uh, before we start filling this out, is, everyone, is this making sense so far? Before we start filling this out, I want to make the point that this changes. Uh, the church does not change, and, and the estates that, and the things that the Lord has established, these do not change. But the devil's attacks on them do, ch- does change. Uh, the devil is not bound to things. In fact, one of the marks of the devil is that he wants to change things. And tomorrow we'll, we'll try to articulate the difference between an institution and a movement. How the Lord loves to institute things, to put things in place. Whereas the devil loves to get things moving, changing, to unsettle things. The devil loves question marks. So when we are filling this out, understand that there's some flexibility on the right side of the page because the devil's strategy often changes through time. Okay? Now the first, I think, example would be great because what is the devil's assault on the creative word of God, on the doctrine in the scripture that the Lord has established this, word, this world by his word? And the way we see that assault today is through the ideology of evolution. So the first blank I think we can put in there is evolution. That evolution stands as the devil's contrary theology to the Lord's word of creation. Okay. Do do you see it? Does that make sense? Whereas the scriptures say that the Lord created everything in peace, the devil says that everything came about through violence. Where the Lord says in creation that everything in creation is ordered to the end of us having life, the doctrine of evolution says the best thing in the world is death in fact, I think that's the power of the mythology of evolution is that it it, it, it articulates the the benefits of dying have you, thought, have you thought about that in other words everyone every person, every human being looks at death and says, this is bad, people should not die. It shouldn't be like this. And yet evolution says there's benefit in death because it makes things get better. The survival of the fittest means the death of the weakest. So that every time someone dies, the world is headed, the universe is getting a little bit better. Do You see that? So that evolution is able, to, um, is able to soothe our conscience to the problem of death with this ideology of creation through violence. Okay, I mean, there's a lot more. In fact, you can could, you could probably see as we kind of wind down through this that, you know, we could spend a day talking about any one of these things. But to understand evolution as the devil's anti-catechism to the Lord's doctrine of creation. Now, uh, what's, what stands to the next uh, blank? What stands against the Ten Commandments? Now, there's, there could be a couple of different answers here, but I think the most profound assault on the Ten Commandments is uh, the ideology that we call postmodernism, and that is the destruction of any sort of absolute truth. That truth is a construct that has integrity only according to itself. And not according to any sort of objectivity. So that postmodernism like the question that Pilate asked to Jesus, what is truth? Postmodernism denies any sort of institution at all, any sort of order in God's word, in, in God's world that is not according to power. You see that? Evolution, in fact, is the destruction of order so that 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 thing that rises above, I mean, postmodernism is, uh, again, the will to power, which is that we are all beasts.
0: Right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian Quick Break when we come back. The balance of today's lecture from the 2015 Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller talking about the anti-catechism. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
1: We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
2: You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> no ho, no ho, a pirate's life for me. We pillage, we plunder, we rifle the loot. Drink up, me hearties, yo ho! We kidnap and ravage and don't give a hoot. Drink up, me is yo ho! Yo ho!
3: Today's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. Nobody expects a purpose driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and a nice Hawaiian jet. damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it.
2: Uh, what?
3: You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are.
0: Uh, I I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Uh,
2: nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no nobody expects the um,
0: purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know, I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who our do chief ex- weapons are our chief weapons are um, purpose. Uh, uh, vision. Okay, and- okay,
3: stop, stop that, stop that. Uh, our chief weapons, our purpose, blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick, read the charges. Dude, you're, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following
2: our program. That's
3: enough! Now, how do you plead?
2: Well, we're we're innocent. innocent. Ha!
3: Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that!
0: Morning. listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church. Especially if your pastor is teaching doctrines that are in line with the anti-catechism. Just a reminder Fighting for the Faith is listener supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you pick. That's right. There are four ranks in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then after that, Quartermaster. This is a great way to support us. And everybody who joins, uh, if you join at Powder Monkey, we'll send you a a Pirate Christian bumper sticker and one of our Cairo flag uh, die-cut stickers. And anybody who joins our crew at Gunner's Mate or above will get our new Reformanda card game. As our way of saying thank you for joining our crew. Of course, if you would like to purchase a bumper sticker, a die cut, Cairo flag sticker, or even Reformanda, you can do so by going to fightingforthefaith.com. And at the very top of the page, it says bake sale. Click on the link there and uh, that'll take you into our bake sale where you can purchase items to also help support us, get your own copy of Reformanda and things like that. Of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, just to let you know, the uh, the 2016 Pirate Christian Radio Conference audio, we are hoping will be available Shortly after uh, the Labor Day holiday, there was a little bit of an issue with the audio levels and we had to spend – we're spending actually still doing it, cleaning up everything and making it work right. So we're hoping that next year – the conference audio for this past conference that just concluded uh, at the beginning of this month will be available for purchase and download uh, sometime next week. Keep an eye on my Facebook wall or Twitter feed. And, uh, and or you know, just tune in and listen, you'll, you'll hear, we'll announce it when it's available. Here's the balance of Pastor Wolfmuller's lecture number one from last year's uh, Pirate Christian Radio Conference on the anti catechism.
1: Uh, we'll keep going. The third column there is what stands against the Lord's institution of the first table of the Ten Commandments? What stands against The Lord's putting us uh, of quorum Deo before him. I have a loose, and some of these these boxes, by the way, I'm working on still filling out, so you guys can help me. Uh, I know they're there, I just don't know what to call them. And a couple of them, especially when we get into the specifics of the commandments, we'll notice that there's two or three options. But I think the thing that stands against the first table of the law is this uh, thing that we call simply secularism. So rather than understanding our lives as sacred, rather than understanding that we are living uh, before God, there is a secularism that says, in fact, that there is no God, there is simply creation. Uh, You could call that also uh, materialism, capital M materialism. You know, sometimes when we talk about materialism, we have this idea that whoever dies with the most toys wins, like you just got to get more stuff, that's greed. But when we speak of materialism officially, it means the idea that there is only things that can be measured. Sometimes we call that scientism, the changing of science into ideology, which is also part of the anti-catechism. And it's not helpful. Yeah, naturalism would be another name for it. But this idea that we don't live before God, we simply live before one another, that's secularism, and it is the devil's work to destroy the first table. Now the second table... Uh, What is the devil's catechesis or his teaching that stands against the gift of having a neighbor? And I would suggest that especially with the second table, the devil is going to tempt us in two different directions, all the way through. Now, I don't have all of them identified, but all the way through. And here the two polar opposites that the devil uses to stand against God's gift of the neighbor are, on the one hand, collectivism. And that would be the idea that that there is no individual, or that the individual does not matter. I'm part of the group. I'm part of the collective. Or on the other hand, autonomy. I am a law unto myself. So radical individualism and, and a rejection of individualism stand as the two polar opposites of the devil's attack on the second table of the law. Okay. Now, w- w- what is, I-, I hope, helpful about this is that you can see that when, when these things are embedded in each other, that they are related to one another. So that evolution is related to post-modernity. And post-modernity is related to collectivism and to autonomy. That these two things are not separate, but they're subcategories of one another. Now we can run through the the Ten Commandments. Really, I have have the Nine Commandments here, and we can consider this. What is the devil's teaching against God? I'm going to give you three options here for the anti-catechism according to the First Commandment, and they are atheism, pluralism, and terrorism. (laughs) Atheism, pluralism, and terrorism. Atheism says that there is no God. Pluralism says that there are multiple truths, that there's many gods and many ways to heaven. And terrorism says that I should fear something besides God. An assault on the first commandment, fear, love, and trust in God alone. The anti... Are we, are we alright to fill this in? I'd like to... I think I'd like to just kind of march through and fill in the blanks, and then, and as soon as we're done, we'll just have questions, and so if you want to go back and consider any of these specifics in more detail, we'll do that. The anti-catechism according to the second commandment, I have this, magic, magic. Now, not, not think broadly about magic. Magic is the idea that I can change reality through words. If you want to see a piece of modern magic, then read President Obama's address to the Islamic nations in Cairo. That was the idea that he could change reality simply through his words. Did you see that? So that magic understood not simply in the sense of witchcraft, but understood more broadly uh, in the sense that our words have power. Joel Osteen, his theology is a magic theology, that I change the contours of the universe with my words. This is magic. Uh, but also magic in the in the, um, in the, specific sense, you know, witchcraft and stuff like that, that falls in there too, and that's growing. Do You know that uh, in 1986, when they were working on the new translation of the small catechism, uh, the old translation under the second commandment said, uh, we should fear and love gods, so we don't curse, swear. Uh, how did it go? Use satanic arts as the new one. Uh, use witchcraft. We should curse, we should uh, fear and love God, so we don't curse, swear, use witchcraft, lie or deceive by his name, but call upon in every trouble praise, pray, praise, and give thanks. That there was an extended discussion in the committee if that should be left out, if the witchcraft or satanic arts should be left out of the catechism because it seemed like a remnant from a bygone era. But now we see the the phenomenal rise in simply the practice of of magic and witchcraft. You know... uh, in fact, I think that um, I have a theory that I have not been able to prove or even really articulate. <laughs> Doesn't stop me from talking about it. And the theory is that, um, that the more a society believes in evolution, that they, they begin to spiritually devolve. So that we are seeing a spiritual devolution, uh, so we're moving backwards. So that, and in this way, so that the, the the false gods that were conquered by the truth, that the, that border is receding in the opposite chrono- chronological order. So probably the last great pagan realm to be conquered by Christianity was uh, the, the kind of northern British Isles and the Celtic paganism that's there. And now, as Christianity is being beat back, that those false gods of Wicca, etc., are the next to emerge. And then... As the lines of Christianity will go back, then the false gods to emerge will be the next. Probably the uh, kind of German stuff. We'll start to see more with Thor, and then the uh, Roman gods, the Roman pantheons, then the Greeks, and then pretty soon we'll be back to uh, to the Persian false gods, and then we'll be looking at Molech and Baal and Ashtra. As as those false gods felt they that they they revive, and the that's my theory. I, I've, again, no proof for it, but. Anyway, the point is that we see a revival of, of just kind of basic paganism, right? You see more pagan bumper stickers than anything else. Okay. Uh, the third, uh, the third uh, category, and this is, not, this is kind of cheating, the anti-catechism on the third commandment, I again have the word secularism. In other words, just as God's word makes us holy, So now the anti-catechism is the destruction of holiness altogether. There is only secular, nothing sacred. Yes? Delusion. He sent them strong delusion. I'm writing it in here. Against the fourth commandment stands the two poles of rebellion and fascism. Rebellion on one hand, and that's what we see today. I mean, we just have a kind of culture and rebelliousness. And then, on the other hand, fascism, which is a destruction of the family, subsumed into the state so that the only authority there is is the state. Pastor Roseborough could talk for years about fascism. This is the anti-family, and it's related to the anti-church when we get down to it. According to the, uh, the thing that stands against the Fifth commandment, we call the culture of death. That's the best name we have for it. We have legalized murder, both for the unborn and also for the elderly. We talk about uh, quality, we talk about quality of life, as if life can be qualified. And that is a lie, the devil's lie against the Fifth commandment, which institutes life. The sixth commandment is simply hedonism. When we see, for example, um, uh, the the recent uh, uh, Supreme Court ruling that says that homosexual marriage is now legal, we put that here under the hedonism of the devil's attack on the God's gift of marriage. But this, you know, um, this was going to happen already 70 years ago, and probably the battle for homosexual marriage or any sort of marriage uh, that is connected to the idea of creation and life was lost as soon as um, our sexuality was brought into the into the realm of pleasure rather than responsibility. Uh, so the disconnect between intimacy and children uh, has to end in the destruction of marriage. I mean, you can't go any other way. Especially... Uh, with the temptations of our sinful flesh. So, uh, so uh, sex disconnected from family, etc., uh, divorce, and so forth. That's all the devil's assault on the Sixth Commandment. The thing that stands against the Seventh Commandment are, on the one hand, greed, and the other hand, socialism. So greed on the one hand, which is uh, an unbridled uh, sense of deserving that I need to gather up all the possessions I possibly can. And on the other hand, socialism, which is officially defined at that the means of production belong to the state, but it basically is the destruction of private property. So socialism as it finds itself in all the various different manifestations in different governments and so forth. Uh, the thing that stands against the Eighth Commandment is again going to be something like collectivism, the destruction of a name, or, on the other hand, bitterness. Bitterness. I have a question mark on the 9th and 10th commandments, but I wonder, this is what I have written in there, and you guys can give me a better uh, a better one, but I have written against the 9th and 10th commandments, the the culture of entertainment. So you guys can meditate on that and help me. Now, this isn't on your little sheet, but we drew in, remember, we drew in the circle with sin there. The thing that stands against that is either an optimistic or a pessimistic anthropology. Pride or despair attached to the doctrine of man. So a prideful anthropology would be that we are good, Uh, uh, (coughs) excuse me, a pessimistic anthropology would say that we are beyond hope. So the false anthropologies of the devil's ideology. All right, now that's the heavy lifting. We can run through, this next one is, is easy. What stands against Jesus? The Antichrist. I mean, if the catechisms on one side and the anti-catechisms on the other, then if Christ is on one side, then the Antichrist is on the other. What are the marks of the Antichrist? He denies the Son of God. He denies that Jesus came in the flesh. He sets himself against the person and work of Christ. Remember that Antichrist is an office. So, so John says, uh, the vicar looked this up yesterday. Uh, Where's the vicar? It's 1 John chapter 2. Antich- the Antichrist is coming and already many, many Antichrists have come. Our Lutheran uh, church fathers have said that the 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 one that fills the office of the Antichrist best fits the description that we read in Second Timothy or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is the Pope because the Pope sets himself against Christ, claims to be the vicar of Christ on earth, says that the Holy Spirit speaks infallibly in the shrine of his own heart and makes such bold claims like this, it is necessary for salvation for each soul to be subject to the Roman pontiff, that's the bull unum sanctum, Is not, I will admit to you, the most popular bull that the Catholic Church has now because you read it and you think, whoever wrote this is Antichrist. (laughs) Uh, To stand, to claim to stand in the place of Christ and to offer salvation not through faith but through works. Probably the next closest to Antichrist uh, that fits the office would be Muhammad. I mean, this is just demonic stuff. In Islam, And the foundation of Islam, remember, Islam is not a world religion. It's a Christian heresy, and it is a perversion of the doctrine of the Trinity. It denies that Jesus came in the flesh. You know, in Islam, they say that that Jesus is a prophet. He's not the Son of God, but that he did not die on the cross. A lookalike died on the cross or something like this, but Jesus didn't die on the cross because it's below the dignity of a prophet to be killed in that way. Now, think about that. This is actually a, a helpful thing. If the, if Islam says that it's below the dignity of a prophet to die, then what are we saying when we say that, that God himself died on the cross? Uh, now, the Muslims will always try to convince us that we basically have the same doctrine, pray to the same God, and so forth. So here's a story. I was meeting down at the coffee shop with uh, Mohammed, president of the Colorado Muslim Association, and he tried to give me that line, and he said... He said, you know, basically, uh, Christianity and Islam, same thing. You know, Pray to the same God, same same stuff. Believe we should be good to each other and so forth. And I said, is that right? I thought they were kind of different because uh, if I understand Islam right, you understand that everything in the universe is created to serve God. Even into the sun and the moon and the stars, but especially we people. And that's what Islam means. It means uh, submission, to submit to God's will. He says, yeah, that's right, that's Islam. And I said, um, I said, well, we believe that God became a man, not so that we could serve Him, so, but that so so that He could serve us by dying a humble death on the cross. And Muhammad said, Yeah, that's different. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad we could get to that point. It's different. Uh, the one thing that we do agree, <laughs> oh, I don't know if I should. The one thing we do agree with Islam is this. Islam, uh, the Muslims say that everyone is born a Muslim. And we agree with them. We just use different words. (laughs) Everyone is born in original sin. A child of the devil. So that is the same doctrine, by the way. Uh, Okay, next. What stands against justification? Self-justification. Let's put it like that. This constant idea that I am maintaining or defending my own righteousness. So instead of being declared right by God, I'm being declared right by myself. This is, the old theologians had a phrase for this, which I always forget. I looked it up. It's the opinio legis. That means the... The judgment or the opinion of the law. And it, it simply goes like this. This is the, if you want to know what the doctrine of your sinful flesh is, the kind of, the fundamental teaching that that clings to you, it's this, the opinio legis, which says that if God is mad at me because of my sin, then he'll be happy with me because of my good works. And that clings to us. Uh... Uh, you, you see it most easily when you just have these street interviews and you say, are you going to go to heaven? And people say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven. Why? But Well, because well, I'm a good person. Well, first of all, what, what ever made you think that being a good person has something to do with going to heaven? I mean, why? Why would we say that being a good person would get us to heaven any more than having brown hair would get us to heaven or being born in the United States? To, I mean, there, there's nothing about our works that is any sort of, more intrinsically connected to getting to heaven. I mean there's no there's no connection that God makes, but our flesh makes that connection. And so it always is putting up our good works against the wrath of God. That's self-justification. Now, what what's uh, oh, let's go to the specifics. This well no, let's go to just next box. What stands against the external word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in preaching? This is mysticism. Mysticism is the theological impulse that would, have, uh, that would put the mystic in direct, immediate, internal connection with the divine nature. Okay? There's Christian mysticism. There's pagan mysticism. Really, we're all mystics. And that stands against the external word, that the theological activity is on the inside and that we have a connection with God there. And, and how do you know it? I think the old mystics had a word for this. I just haven't been able to find it yet but there's like a sixth sense. We, the, the closest we know how to call it is the um, is our feelings, but it's something for mysticism, it's something more than feeling. It's uh, there's a there's a way to have knowledge internally, yeah? Well, yeah, it's like a clairvoyance. It's a, it's an immediate knowledge. So it's not through the eyes or the ears that that's all taking stuff inside but we have an internal way of knowing things and whatever that internal thing is then knows that God is present. Yeah, John, you got something? Intuition? Yeah, something like that. The uh you know the Hindus represent it with the third eye. And that's the idea that you have a sense on the inside of you that is able to perceive the invisible things. Yeah? Roseboro, <laughs> you got to have the right midi chlorines, Pastor. Roseboro says, uh, "Yeah, we're against the midi chlorines, by the way. We are for we are four Star Wars movies that have Harrison Ford. That's what we are for here at Hope Lutheran Church, by the way. It's an official policy of the church." <laughs> That it, yeah, we we even this new movie we, we're with it. Uh, the church, I, I call this the anti church, uh, the thing that stands against the church. It, uh, another way to call it would be the a- anti reconciliation. So Jay Budashevsky will write about this. Not only that we have self justification, we also have we have the uh, self atonement and self self reconciliation. This is why sinners seek fellowship with sinners because if you're in a fe- if you're in a fellowship of of peers that also have a particular sin, you can appease your conscience through that fellowship. Uh, So the anti-church is like the anti-family, it's the reconciliation of peers gathered not around God's word, but gathered around sin. Or gathered around a false good work. Uh, So the anti-reconciliation doesn't simply have to be gathered around sin, like, like at the bar where you're gathered around drunkenness. But you could, go, you could have a social club where you're gathered around picking up the litter, see? So you have a false good work. I mean, especially environmentalism is spawning all sorts of good works uh, that, uh, that provide the opportunity for a, a pseudo-fellowship. Now, uh, what stands against baptism? What stands against absolution? What stands against the Lord's Supper? Here is where I am particularly asking for your help, but I think with baptism, it's part of this false reconciliation. I become part of a, I become part of a club, a, a, a gang. I become part of a group. I, I gather. I take my identity from from something that God has not established. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, this you see, the anti-catechism, the devil will take any substitute to baptism that he can find. So in the secular world, when you're initiated into a fraternity, or in the church, when you are going through your first act of obedience, uh, or when you are, uh, as Pastor Cooper was talking about, how, how baptism is now, and this is kind of the classic Reformed view, it doesn't incorporate you into Christ, it incorporates you into the covenant the devil will skew the God's gift of baptism any which way so long as it doesn't miss the mark. And that's going to be here. Yeah? Yeah, you're declaring yourself that, you're, that you have faith. Yeah, yeah. So rather than the Lord declaring you and adopting you into his family, you're being adopted into a different family. We see this especially, you know, one of the marks of the... Um, you, you, there's all sorts of subcultures, that uh, that the world is breaking up into, and these are all part of the anti-church. Where we see this maybe most clearly is the um, subculture of homosexuality, where now all of my peers are defined by a particular addiction. And and as I go into that group, that becomes my identity. That's anti-baptism. Which is, which is really helpful for us. As we talk about people who are tempted in this way, we say, hey, you're not defined by your temptation, that you're baptized, Do you see? So that when we face up against the anti-catechism and the devil's work here, we're bringing to, we're bringing to people's attention the, the Lord's true working. Our identity is in Christ. The anti-absolution, I've got two things, therapy and drunkenness. Uh, the self-esteem culture really fits into, into this. Uh, it's anti-repentance. Yeah, Jen. Yeah, social media. I'll add this here. Yeah, yeah. Who likes me? I have, I get affirmation, not from God's word, but from the number of likes that I got. I hope at least 100 people like this presentation when Chris posts it up. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, a couple other on this one. Yeah, yeah. That's especially going to be up here. Boop. But yeah, that's right. What do I have to confess? I boast. <laughs> you know, the devil, the devil wants us to do two things with our sins: to flaunt them or to hide them. I suppose that fits in right here. Not to confess them and hear the absolution. Yeah. The flaunting and hiding of sin. Oh, the ego, yeah, the ego. And then the, um, the under the Lord's Supper, we have the anti-sacraments and all the false liturgies of the world. Now, I think these break off differently for every different uh, ideology. But you have, for example, uh, in general liberalism, you have environmentalism becomes the sacrament and the liturgy. In feminism, abortion and birth control are the sacraments. In American Christianity, it's mystical worship. That's what's replaced the Lord's Supper uh, as the anti-catechism and the sacrament that's there. Okay. Uh, now the big picture. What is the big one? Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Uh, feminism has abortion and birth control. It's amazing how abortion is really the kind of sacrament of the feminist movement. It's really destructive and feminism had so much potential to uh to be helpful in the world um uh to you know you know there's just different consequences when a man and a, a woman uh lie down together and the man can lie down and and stand up and walk away and the woman is there is pregnant and has a child and is 9 months and then is bearing that child and is raising that child and this sort of thing and the women could say hey uh Look, at, we, we should be, when we lie down together, we should share in that responsibility. But that, that should be true feminism, but it, you know, it is, looks like is traditional marriage. <laughs> Give me a diamond is what it is. Uh, but instead, it went the other direction. The, the feminist said, I want to be able to lie down and rise up like a man and have no consequence. And to maintain that, you, you, you have to eventually uh, kill the baby. So, that's just tragic. And then the thing that was after that was American Christianity, which is mystical worship. Now, uh, what stands against the whole thing, the whole circle? Uh, It is the anti-word, which is easy, or Gnosticism, or best, Enthusiasm. So Luther and perhaps one of the most brilliant and profound theological insights outside of the scripture, Small called Articles, Part 3, Article 8 on Confession, says that every heresy is enthusiasm. Now we think of enthusiasm, and he says from the Pope to Mohammed to the the, uh, uh, the, uh, Anabaptists, all of it is enthusiasm. Now we think of enthusiasm as just being excited about something. But enthusiasm has a technical meaning, and, it's, and it simply means that there is no external word. That the, that the word of God is only heard internally and in my heart. So Luther says that God converted Adam and Eve into the devil converted Adam and Eve into enthusiasts in the garden when he said, Did God really say? So that every assault on the word of God, be it his word in creation, his word in, in incarnate in Christ, his word that sanctifies us in the church by the Holy Spirit. Every assault is enthusiasm. Now, now, what this should mean is that as we meditate on this, we can see the connections, for example, between atheism and Islam. They're all part of the anti-catechism. They're all part of the devil's assaults on the thing that the Lord has instituted. Uh, now, a last word on this, and I think we'll... We'll maybe start up tomorrow on this to compare the idea of an institution and a movement. But the last word on this is, I think, a word of hope. Because we look at the world and sometimes we're down in the trenches. We see the anti-catechism winning the day. You know, We see the Supreme Court decision. We see the false teachers in the church. We see the rise of Islam. We see the persecution of the church. Uh, And we see the beheading of our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. It seems to us like the front, the battle that's being fought here is that we are on the losing side of this battle. But what God has instituted will remain. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be overthrown. Now, there will be casualties in the fight. And that's why this is such an important battle. Uh, that, that the Lord is engaged in and that the church is engaged in and so forth. There will be casualties in the fight, but, but that the, uh, the fight is there, in fact, is helpful to us. Luther had this saying, and I think he got it from Cicero, or one of the old Greek thinkers. He says, the abuse confirms the substance. Remember that? Remember reading that? The abuse confirms the substance? So that when we see the devil attacking the gift of marriage or we see the devil attacking the gift of life, or we see the devil attacking God's gift of the gospel, then it, in our own hearts, confirms that this is, in fact, God's good institution. And we stand there and and know that marriage, in fact, can be no different. The gospel can be no different. The church will stand, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We were in June. We went to visit Israel, and we went to Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus said that Matthew 18. And when you go to Caesarea Philippi, the city was here in this kind of jungly area. Now there's nothing there, and you go up to this wall, and there was a hole there, and there was a. There used to be a uh, the the river flowed out of there, and it was called the Grotto of Pan. There's a temple to Zeus, a temple to Augustus, a temple to Pan, a temple to Nemesis, a temple to the goats. There was it was like a strip mall for false gods, and now, uh, and that—that that is the place where Jesus said that I will, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And now you go there and all these false gods, these all these false temples are just in ruins. And we were there hearing the words of Jesus. So even though we're in the midst of the fight, there is in fact nothing to be afraid of. And be be sure of this that the devil hates it, that we can name these things and we can see a strategy. Okay, there's the anti-catechism. I don't know what time we... You tell me, Chris. We got time for questions? (laughs) Let's have it.
2: Um, Just real quick, you said you finished with there is a strategy. What is it?
1: Yeah, the devil's strategy? Or no, Uh,
2: uh, our strategy. Oh, our
1: strategy, our strategy. Well, remember... Uh, this is probably what uh, Paul outlines in um, Ephesians six, where Paul speaks of the armor of god and uh, and he uses a a, a particularly a, a, a profound uh, word over and over and over again He says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand and uh, and withstand on the last day so the so the church is not advancing. Because we're not a movement, we don't have anywhere to go. But the church is standing. And we stand equipped with God's armor. So the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, the belt of truth, the sword of the Spirit, and that's the last one. He says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times. So the chief work that the church does against the devil's assaults is to use God's word in prayer. So that we take up the scriptures and we pray the scriptures against the devil. Uh, and his, his kingdom is overthrown through the word. Remember, Luther says, uh, the word, the word, the word. It's like, the, the picture that he uses is that God's word is like fumigation for the devil. So that as we rejoice in God's word, which creates the world, which is in Christ, Christ as the word and the word that's preached, now the devil's kingdom is, is beat back. That was a start of an answer. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah.
2: So I was thinking about uh how you define magic and thank you. <laughs>
1: um I, I just can't help but think of the whole transgendered
2: issue and how that relates, the idea of speaking reality into existence in terms of your gender.
1: So could you expand upon that maybe? That, that, uh, Gnosticism so so remember Gnosticism says um, that there is a, it has a dualistic understanding of nature and that uh, flesh is bad and spirit is good. In fact, flesh is dangerous. So if I'm a Gnostic and I'm looking at myself, I'm going to bifurcate myself, if that's the right word. I'm going I'm to see my spirit as my identity, my inner self, and my flesh is not only the bad part of me, but it's the, it's the part of me that enslaves me. So as a Gnostic, I have to say that my being a man or woman is defined by my spirit. And if I look at my body, and it is telling me something different, then my body not only is enslaving me, but I have salvation in attacking my body. So Gnosticism breaks in two directions. Uh, It breaks in an ascetic direction, which says that because the body is a hindrance to salvation, then I'm going to starve myself, I'm going to to live apart from society, and that's the the Buddhist move uh, of Gnosticism. But then there's the hedonistic move of Gnosticism, which says because the body doesn't matter, then I'll do whatever I want with it, Uh, I can abuse it, I can use it for whatever sort of pleasures I want, and we're in that hedonistic uh, way, and that just has its fullness in the assaulting of my own body, cutting it to bits, uh, so that this rise, you know this, in cu- this cutting thing that is ha- with, with the kids uh, these days is, is part of this, is Gnosticism. My body is, uh, uh, that the Gnostic is assaulting creation and that assault on creation is my freedom. And it's not only, ha- I mean, so this is, the, this is why transgender, the transgender movement and socialism are the same phenomenon. It's an assault on God's creation, as an example. I mean, it's all the same phenomenon. Yeah, so if I'm a Gnostic, uh, my bo- and, and I say, am I a man or a woman, and my body says, you're a man, and I say, shut up, body. I'll show you, and, and you get out the sword, and you attack your body. Ooh. Yeah, thank you for that horrible idea. <laughs> I know you didn't have it. Yeah. Well, uh, more questions. Do you see uh, President Obama's uh, statement that the United States is no longer a Christian Judeo country as a form of magic, or as a statement of reality? Well, I so so the question is, uh, Obama when he says the United States is no longer Christian Judeo Christian country, is it magic, or the other option was reality? Uh, so, one of the shifts that we see in politics with with president obama is a kind of a generational shift is it 's kind of moved from materialism to mysticism, so the presidents before were a matter of you know we just i mean we need more strength and that 's a materialistic view of the world president obama is 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 different in that sense that you can kind of change reality through speaking um, but I do not know when he says that we 're no longer judeo christian country, I think there's something going on um, with, the, with the anti-catechism there. When we say Judeo-Christian country, I think that's imprecise in the sense that there's no such thing as Judeo-Christian. I mean, it's not a real thing. Although Kinky Friedman, <laughs> you guys know Kinky Friedman, who was running for governor of Texas? He had a band, a honky-tonk band in Texas, and it's called uh, Kinky Friedman and the Jew Boys, I think. And he was run- my, my uncle was running his campaign, and he was on Bill O'Reilly, and he says, and, and he says, are you a Jewish or a Christian? And he says, and Kinky Friedman says, well, I'm a Judeo-Christian. I've got Moses and Jesus living in my heart. <laughs> that's such a fantastic confusion of law and gospel <laughs> that I think is almost definitional of American Christianity. I got, most Christians have Moses living in their heart. You know, that's what it means. To, I mean, It's incredible. Uh, but probably what it means is that we, are, we no longer think of the world in institutional terms. So we, we, we no longer think of, the, of marriage, for, just to take an example that's easy, we do not think of marriage any longer as an institution, but rather as something that is in flux, something that is changing or at least something that can change. And uh, and that move from institution uh, an institutional understanding of the world to an understanding of the world as a move, so you have the American movement, or even people talk about the Christian movement or the Lutheran movement. That's that's horrible language. It's false. Uh, and, but that move away from thinking institutionally, I think, is encapsulated there. And in that sense, he's right. We in most people in the United States now. Do not think in terms of institutions.
0: So what would you think? would love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback@fightingforthefaith.com. or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.